Welcome back to season four, episode six of Life Beyond Loss, the podcast. This is a guest show where we share some really inspiring and uplifting stories of how people have navigated their own grief and loss through to their healing and often transformation as a result. I'm your host, Louise Kresic, grief and loss coach, and today I'm talking to Charlie Wall. She's a life coach. She's the founder of charliewall.com and she's really sharing a Um, a very honest and candid experience of her vast journey that she's been on um, and which includes the loss of her brother in an accident and then also um, her father being in the same accident and becoming his carer um, long term and she's also been on a really interesting journey in terms of her career as well and um, has got a great many skills and expertise to share so please do listen in to this one. of season four today by Charlie Wall. She's founder of charliewall.com and we're going to talk much more in a bit about what it is that Charlie actually does. But welcome to the show, Charlie. Thank you, Louise. It's an absolute honour to be here. And just remind me as well, what, what part of the um, the UK you're in? I know we talked about this last time, but I've forgotten. <laughs> I'm currently based in North Norfolk in a beautiful little place called Wells Next to the Sea. So I'm by the sea, I'm by the beach, I'm surrounded by just beautiful nature. So I feel very lucky to be here. Oh, that's absolutely gorgeous. It's the best of both worlds, really, being by the yes. sea and having the like nature and all the rest of it around. Yes. Um, yes. So anyway, um, million dollar question anyway. Let's talk about um, and introduce you to the audience and tell people what, what it is that you do. So I'm a life coach and I specialise in helping people who have anxiety or any sort of habits of behaviour, habits sort of include um, dysfunctional eating patterns or dysfunctional alcohol patterns, um, habits sort of negative thinking. So uh, I, t- I help them to find more peace and joy and have freedom from from those things that kind of keep them caged in. Um, A lot of those people actually have experienced loss because that's a lot of my background, but um, yeah, that's the the person I help. And has there been any particular kind of journey that's led you to into this pathway of doing what it is you do now? And have you always done this or? No, no, I've, I've got many hats. And so, yes, there's a, there's a vast journey. Um, I started as a psychiatric nurse and that was, uh, so my first loss, or double loss really, was my brother and father in a motorbike accident. And uh, my brother died and my father lived, but he wasn't the same. He was very severely disabled and so he had a head injury, brain injury. So I went into nursing after that, psychiatric nursing, Specialised in addictions, so was an addictions counsellor, addiction specialist, set up the service at Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge. 
and then um, I did that probably for a few years and then I quit about 15 years ago and went into the health and wellness industry, set up my own business, studied nutrition. And then after looking after my dad for a very long time, he died in 2016. And after he died, um, at the same time, my son left home. So I kind of went from being, you know, I had this very successful business, but my, my role in life, as I saw it, was carer for my dad, mother to my then 16-year-old son. And kind of, they, all, they both left, but in different ways. One went off to live in... Um, another part of the world and my father died so I just sold everything and retrained as a as a life coach and um, that brings me here three years later so I have many hats many skills and but it's been a, a interesting journey post the first loss I think with my chosen careers wow that is a journey and <laughs> it really is isn't it <laughs> Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? I think how, well, speaking from my own personal experience, how those profound losses and significant changes in our life kind of helps us to take different paths in our career. It generally, I think the more people I speak to, the more it, it sort of seems that it is reflected in their career choices as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was doing, so when my brother and father had their motorbike accident, I was 21. So I was at university studying um, teacher training, English and PE. And because of what happened, it was su such a tragic kind of traumatic event um, that at that point I decided to look after my father and I knew I couldn't go back to university but I didn't really know what to do. And I just felt a real sense of this is horrendous. Uh, and I didn't know what was out there for me to have support as a young person who was going through this traumatic grief and looking after her father. And at that time, I think I didn't really know where to look. And so what occurred to me, or I think it was suggested to me actually by the head injury nurse, go into nursing, go into psychiatric nursing. And I thought, yeah, you know, I could probably help people who struggled. And, and, and it was, you know, it was very sort of naive um, thought, but I think it obviously came from some, some, something deeper, some wiser part of me that knew my path, I guess. Mm. Um, so that was, that was the choice I made. But of course, as my, as my life went on and, and I set up the service at Adam Brooks on my own and I was a young mum then, it became harder and harder work, I think. And, and I hadn't dealt with the loss. Uh, I, I just carried on. I was workaholic. That was one of my things. I was a workaholic and just looked after my dad. And I just, I had a breakdown and I got into fitness and exercise. And so then that was my next idea. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this has helped me I'm gonna help everyone you know with that and, and so then that was like the journey for a long time until after he died and then the coaching I wanted to put all of my professional skills under one umbrella and I think I can do that as a life coach and I did qualify but um, when my dad died it it was very 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 difficult for me 
Um, but I think as I've gotten older, obviously more people lose people and there's so much more support out there on social media. So I felt able to talk about it and I felt that at the time people were resonating with what I was saying and kind mm-hmm. of they were with me on my journey. So I had a lot of support and people seemed to be helped by what I was saying. And then I was really lucky enough to fall into the, the coaching program that I did. I think I just, again, there was some deeper wisdom behind that. It was just what I needed at that time in my life. And so I feel very blessed that... I feel very strongly that my my dad and my brother are with me. Mm. Um, and, and, and because I carry that strong faith, it kind of helps me, A, it helps me make decisions, but B, I'm not frightened of change. I'm not frightened to change my career. I'm not frightened to, to do, you know, to make a leap, to take a risk, because my sense is that life's so short, it's mm. so precious. And I just don't want to waste it being miserable in in a job, you know, for any longer than necessary. Yeah, so. I, I do get that. I think that again, the one of the impacts of losses, uh, sort of, um, well, for me personally, I'd describe it as like an awakening almost of understanding, you know, what life for me is really about and what's important to me and how finite life can be. But I also think there's many people out there that would resonate with that, that mm. somehow it kind of brings to light actually the way they want to live out the rest of their life as well. Yeah, yes. It's so fragile. And I think we really take it for granted, you know, I. I remember when my brother died and firstly, like I was 21. So a lot of my friends, it was so awful that it was like the worst thing that had happened to anyone that anyone knew, if, you, if that makes any sense. So a lot of people couldn't, didn't know how to respond. And so they, they left. And I remember just sort of thinking, I either keep moving forwards and creating a life that I want to create, or I go down a little rabbit hole and stay in this sort of sunken career I don't want to be in. I just knew that I didn't want to do the teaching anymore at that point. But what's really interesting, Louise, is that I've kind of come full circle in every (laughs) sense. I just kind of, you know, I quit exercise at that point in my life and, and teaching. And what I do now is, I work with people holistically so I do do exercise I do do yoga I do teach <laughs> yeah. but it's just under the the title of life coach so how yeah. amazing and how did your 21 year old self um feel able to move forward then what 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 ways did you find to be able to do that because I guess that would be a very different experience at a younger, a young age. Well, it was all I knew. Um, it, that's a, that's a tough question. That's a tough question because there were like two sides of me. That's how it felt. So there was the side that was determined, absolutely driven uh, to create 
something out of this tragedy. And then the other side of me, which was hell bent on self destruction. So as I went through my psychiatric nursing course, I took a lot of drugs and I somehow, and with very good grades, qualified, but I was stoned most of the time. Mm -hmm. So that's why there was sort of two sides to, there was this very driven, which I'm still that, that person, um, but I coped. I coped using substances. Mm. So that's how I got through. That's how I, at the time, and I, and I know that's not the key, but at that time, it was all I could see to do. Mm. I was doing like the best that I could, but still utterly determined to, to make a change to other people's lives so that they didn't have to. I felt that I was suffering. You know, so my coping strategies were working, studying and smoking weed. <laughs> I think a lot of students might relate to that, to be perfectly honest, not saying that all students do. Um, well, that's why it was so, that was why it was so easy. And what was another interesting thing, Louise, is that when I went to university uh, to the first time, I wasn't, there, that wasn't in my world. I mean, there were people that did it, but it wasn't. A part of who I was mm-hmm. and when I went back um so I looked after my dad in intensively for the first sort of eight months and then he went to a different hospital and I started my nurse training in the March and the accident happened in the July before so July 93 and then I started my nurse training in March 94 I suddenly met loads of people who took drugs it was weird mm-hmm. and the people that I met had also lost so I suddenly gravitated to to socially finding people who introduced me but who I felt kind of understood me in a way that I hadn't felt understood by my friends so it's just a connection a misplaced connection Yes, I like the way you frame that misplaced connection because there is definitely a need there, isn't there? Just to be feel connected in some way and just to feel understood, I guess, in terms of what you've been through. Um, And it's really interesting, isn't it, that some people make that decision to to turn to either drugs, alcohol, all sorts of things like you've, you've talked about, you work in addiction, helping people with addiction. So mm. you've got experience of that. And it's just, yeah. it does kind of fascinate me the, what kind of drives people to make those decisions, I guess, at a time when things are so difficult and I can completely see it. I, can, I get it. Um, it's also you talked about work as being um you know throwing yourself into career and study and all of that and it's almost like that is a distraction technique as well isn't it um mm-hmm. for me personally i i was 25 when i lost my mom so still quite young mm. i knew like i didn't know how to deal with it so i just literally went back into work and threw myself into work and not surprisingly like you ended up in that situation having a breakdown and I think now looking back again it's just this distraction um yeah kind of I don't know formulated an attachment to it or something I don't know 
Well, it, it, it's absolutely that. It's a, it's a numbing and, and a not a being frightened of the pain. And because we don't necessarily consciously know that we're frightened of the pain, we innocently look for things outside of us to sort of fill that gap or find our validation or find our place in the world. Uh, especially after a huge loss when, you know, like for you, your mum, for me, my dad and my brother. So the two main male um, figures in my life. <laughs> so you can imagine what kind of disastrous relationships I had. <laughs> the classic. Um, but it is purely an innocent. It's very innocent. It's very innocent. It's a way of us trying to feel better. Mm. You know, because we don't know that, we just don't understand that we're frightened of an experience which is very natural. And I think sometimes when there's when there's a trauma there, so I definitely interpret um, my loss with my mum as a, a traumatic experience, that I'd spent quite a lot of time like feeling absolutely nothing because I think maybe I was still in the stage of shock. Mm. And so it's like kind of like... Uh, to me it's like what else do I do other than just go to work like <laughs> which is kind of kind of, you know really it's about actually spending time processing it and I know that now um but mm. at the time it's like oh I feel nothing I don't know how to grieve because I literally feel nothing and I suppose there's, there's that trauma for some people isn't it and not even being aware of, mm. of where they're at yes yes and, and I had um you know, mine was traumatic. I had post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which actually came back after my father died in 2016 for different reasons. But mm -hmm. I think I had a, and I, and I use this word loosely, I had a habit of following my thought train flashbacks. It had been happening for so many years that it was easy for me to do that and kind of go into a, an anxious shell if yeah. you like um because just those experiences those flashbacks the nightmares the whole thing you know the trauma it stores itself in your body is, is my understanding now um but we will we will just do what makes sense to us in the moment and i now no longer have any judgment on the things that I did or the mistakes that I made or the drugs that I took, because if you live in shame and guilt and regret, it just, you'll just keep doing the behaviors. Cause again, we just don't like feeling uncomfortable mm. and there's nothing I could do. You know, I was living in a, in a place of just, this is absolutely her. I mean, the impact of that accident is still, you know, it, it's affected my life forever. Mm. It's not like it, it was over on that night. It's still impacting my life. And so that changed the trajectory of my life on that night in that one moment. And I used to find that incredibly hard to get my head around. And I think if we have no words to describe Oh, sorry. The anger, okay. the anger or the sadness or the grief will do what makes sense to us. Yeah. 
I'd love to just, if it's okay with you, just touch upon that PTSD for a moment, because I think, um, I feel like this is something that is becoming, uh, well, it's certainly coming to my attention within the people that I work with. People are, you know, talking about it more openly, which is great. Um, Mm. But there's still this um, uh, misconception, if you like, that it's kind of um, this thing that affects people who have been to war, for example, uh, or experienced, you know, witnessed a horrific crime, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, and I just wondered as well um, how how your journey was in terms of getting that diagnosis and how you came to kind of recognise it or not. So when so after the accident. Um, one of the things I had to do was identify my brother's body on that night that he died. And then after that, look after my dad who was in intensive care. And then I had to tell my dad that my brother had died whilst he was still on this sort of life support. And so there were a lot of very traumatic things that happened, decisions I had to make. I was his, um, next of kin so they were asking me to make a decision to have his leg chopped off there were lots of things that i felt i did robotically but wasn't necessarily supported in doing in making those decisions as a 21 year old Mm. and i started to every time i saw a motorbike go into panic panic attack um and what would happen, and it was every time I saw a motorbike, I would have flashbacks, so flashbacks of everything that I just described, flashbacks of the funeral. I'd replay the accident even though I wasn't there because they told us what had happened. So I'd visualise it happening. And so then I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And that that's kind of how I got that diagnosis. But at the time, they they told me to go and see a cognitive behavioural therapist who told me to put motorbikes up on my bedroom wall and <laughs> they call it flooding. And I, yeah. I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back. And I just managed it, but I managed it with smoking weed mm. and I just dealt with it. And so interestingly, when my father died in 2016, I had the same, the trauma with him had been going on for 25 years. That, that, you know, the, the, the periods of him being very unwell, the things I had to do to, to care for him were all traumatic. Seeing him in the way he was, it was all traumatic. And when mm. he died, I got very, very ill myself a couple of weeks later. They put me in the same A&E bay as he'd been in just a few weeks before. Oh and I was trying to get out screaming, but I was really ill and they were like, no, you know, they just didn't get it. And so, of yeah. course, the this, this post-traumatic stress came back even worse, mm. if, in a sense, because I had new traumatic <laughs> memories. Mm. So trauma, I think, affects everybody individually it was my experience of his life and death it was my experience of the accident that so it was in me I was creating the the flashbacks Mm. um 
I'm glad it's talked about more, but my understanding's changed slightly now as I've developed as a coach, as, 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 I've, as I'm more grounded in myself. So I, I now understand that actually I don't have to follow those flashback thoughts, mm. whereas for 25 years I followed them and went into a panic. Mm. So that almost became a habit as well and that's you know another thing I work with people on I help them sort of understand how they create their experience and that for me has been life-changing because I had panic attacks and flashbacks for 25 years and that's a long long time yeah yeah um so I'm not sure if that answers your question actually. yeah so no thank you off. no thank you so much for answering that Charlie very honestly and openly because I feel that it is something that still needs to be talked about more as you say people are um, sort of slowly coming around and just like feeling more enlightened I guess about it and this isn't something like I said that just affects people that have been to war or whatever um so yeah thank you so much for sharing that because I just think it will help people to understand I learned of somebody recently who's just been diagnosed but you know she's had anxiety for many 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 years it's only just that she's had that diagnosis so and I Mm. guess it would be really to some extent really helpful for people um when they finally understand what it is they're you know dealing Mm. with um because otherwise the suffering just kind of like you say for a very long time goes on doesn't it and well, for me, just to say, like, when my dad died, when it came back, um, the way it manif- manifested for me, if anyone's listening, and, and you know, it, it, it was chronic anxiety, but because of the flashbacks and stuff, I think that's why it was diagnosed as PTSD. But for mm. me, the way it manifested was I could not watch anything. So I couldn't watch the TV. I couldn't be around people. Noise affected me deeply. Light mm. affected me deeply. I could no longer read. I found it difficult to communicate. I just sort of lost um, what people take for granted. Mm. Reading a book, reading their phone, watching the TV. Um, I couldn't stand the radio. You know, I just couldn't, I had to have silence. That, that was how it manifested for me, which is partly why one of the reasons I sold everything in Cambridge and, and I was really lucky to, to, to land here, but it's very quiet here. <laughs> so yeah. It was kind of the right place at the right time. Um, but that's how it manifested for me, you know, and, and lots of anxiety, stressful um, feelings heart palpitations panic attacks that sort of thing mm, yeah I definitely can relate to that as well um mm. although I haven't had that diagnosis but anxiety has been a, a, a pretty much a lifelong thing I think for me and um yeah I think the environment that we are in and how we choose to kind of you know the lifestyle choices and all of that is all equally so important for um keeping ourselves well and healthy Mm. even if you don't have ptsd you know um but um i wanted to ask you then as well sort of overall now when you kind of um look back and i know that this has been a, a long journey for you and it's been real loss and you know ups and downs is there anything that kind of you feel 
looking at that journey overall has really kind of um I don't know impacted on you but maybe in a positive way well it took me a long time to see this Louise but I think more recently or certainly over the last few years I began to really be grateful that my experience has allowed me because of because it happened to me it's allowed me to really help others mm-hmm. and of course I don't know what would have happened my life would be very different now um you know I look at my son who's now 19 he's older than my my brother was and he looks the spitting image of him so I wasn't prepared for that mm-hmm. um but I feel you know as much sadness but I also feel incredibly grateful that a I'm still here b I was in a position to be able to look after my father for as long as I did c I've got a beautiful healthy annoying teenage son (laughs) 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 that I can give him you know the benefit of of my experience but also I can share it and I try and share it I'm passionate about sharing as with as many people as possible but because I have strong faith that they're with me I'm not sure a lot of people have that like I have a deep knowing that they're guiding me yeah and I feel them and so it gives me courage you know, it gives me strength. And now I may have had those and I think everyone has them, but they just don't necessarily know. But it just gives me like, it's like my little prop, I think. I called my own podcast Courage Dear Heart because I really think so many of us have courage, show courage, but don't necessarily know it. Yeah. It's really interesting you touched upon that because courage has been my word for 2019. Oh, has it? Yeah, it has. <laughs> and um, and I, but I really explored it a lot with myself and come to realise that, and I think most people, a bit like confidence, people think it's something they need to go and get. And actually, mm. no, it's, it's something we all have. It's there. It's within us. Yes. It's just how we allow it to surface and then what meaning we kind of attach to it really, isn't it? And how we um develop it uh, develop it i guess and yeah it's it's really interesting you mentioned that yes i think courage is what's what my dad showed for for all of those years that he he lived i think courage is what me and my sister and my mom have shown for all of these years you know, since, since 1993, but I see courage in so many people, whatever their life circumstances, I see it every day. And I just, it's, it's, I admire it. I love it. And I think when people lead from the heart or speak from the heart, it's tremendously courageous. Yeah, I love it. I do. And I think I'm going to, carry that word forward with me actually because it's it's brilliant it's amazing what it kind of just helps you to reflect on and to think about really and also you mentioned obviously about gratitude as well Mm. um and I think I just want you know what I've always wanted for this podcast is just the people that are listening to know that they might not be in that space right now 
Mm -hmm. um, but you know, at some point in the future, there is life beyond loss and there is the opportunity to um, look at things very differently. Absolutely. I, I mean, if I had to, if I'd had access to something like this when I was 21, it would have made such a difference to me because I felt so alone. But just the kind of gratitude for having a brother, for having a, a father who I love dearly. Um, you know, he I was very lucky to have to have him as my dad. So there are things that it just changes. Like it was stuff I took for granted. My family, my siblings, my parents. I was young and, you know, going off to uni and um, I, I took all of that for granted and I never take anything for granted anymore. And that's, it's easy to do that. So what else would you say to people then that are listening now? What, what uh, sort of words of wisdom would you offer them? I'd like to say that you're not alone and, and there is hope for you to see some light again. You know, if you're feeling in a very dark place, if you're feeling very anxious, even if you've heard something in, in what I've said, or if you hear something in what Louise says, hold on just to that glimmer of light because you only need like a little photon of light to, to see, you know, in a dark room. And I didn't know that back then. And, I, and that's what I want to tell you that just hearing something, seeing something, reading just something, if, if there's any glimmer, there's your light and it will come back more and more and more. I think those are absolutely beautiful words to end on, Charlie. Thank you so much for those words. Thank you. Thank you for um, asking me to come on. It's been lovely. You're welcome. And um, also we'll tell people where they can kind of find you, presumably in all the usual places. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so my website's IamCharlieWool.com and then Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are basically the same, I am Charlie Wool, or uh, no, Facebook's just Charlie Wool, but it's Charlie with an I. Um, yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn like you, so we're friends if people are on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, it's quite easy to find me, C-H-A-R-L-I, Wool, as in brick. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, we'll pop all the links anyway in the um, show notes for people. But thank you so much. And, you know, just for very candidly sharing your experience, um, your loss and your journey with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
this podcast episode, please give it a like, show it some love and share. You can get ahead of new podcast episodes by following Life Beyond Lost, the podcast over on Stitcher FM, Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. Or you can also find the back catalogue of Life Beyond Lost, the podcast over on www.louisecresic.com.